As we come into the time of learning more of you and about you, Lord, just help us to understand that we are a child of God. We are no longer slaves to sin. Lord, just give the words to Pastor David. Speak through him. Holy Spirit, come to this place. And if there's anyone here that's struggling, Lord, I just pray that they understand that we as a church are here for them. Because we worship the Almighty God. Thank you, Jesus. I'll sing that one more time. And I'm no longer set to fear. And I am a child of God. And I'm no longer slave to fear. And I am a child of God. And I am a child of God. Amen. You may be seated. rethinking. We're rethinking our lives. We're rethinking our attitudes. We're rethinking our decisions and our choices. And if you would turn to the book of Philippians, that's where we're going to be today, and that's where we're going to be till we bring in the new year, actually, a couple weeks into January, actually. Um, And I'm glad that you're here with us. You know, as I've said every Sunday of this series, Philippians as a book, is called the most positive, inspiring, joyful book in the Bible. Um, I hope you're finding this to be true in your own life. It's Paul's masterpiece of encouragement, and and it's been challenging me. Um, The words joy, rejoice, be glad occurred 19 times in the book of Philippians, and so he's really trying to make his point. So far, we've learned that we can live abundantly, And we can live joyfully in our lives. We can live that way in our relationships. We can live that way in spite of our circumstances. Last week, we took a look at Paul's description of Jesus Christ and how how that is one of the top five 14ers of Scripture. You know, an amazing description of Jesus Christ. And and Paul says we're to be like him. And, And we've also been learning that this kind of life doesn't just happen by accident. You know, it's, it's, it's a decision that we make. It's, a, it's an act of the will. Now, that last song we sang said that I am no longer a slave to sin. I am no longer a slave to fear. And that's true. We are not controlled um, despite our will by those two things. But when we let those things influence us and control us, it's when we choose to. We make that decision. We make that choice because they no longer have any power over us. Now, in your notes, you, if you read the, the uh, or in the bulletin, if you read the introduction to uh, the message, 
uh, you see the Bobby McFerrin quote there. Don't worry, be happy, right? That song? Sorry, I... I hope I... I didn't really think I yelled that much last night, obviously. Um, Maybe the the basketball game and the football game were a bit too much in one day. I don't don't know. Um, Anyway... um, those lyrics, I, I looked them up to that Bobby McFerrin song, are absolutely true. Completely. They're biblical, in fact. But the, the question that Bobby McFerrin doesn't answer is, how are these things possible? You know, because there's a line in there that says, the, your landlord says that your rent is late, he might have to litigate, right? But don't worry, be happy. Well, how could you do that without putting your life in the hands of God and trusting that he's going to provide for you. I mean, that whole song, if, if it, at the end of every line, Bobby McFerrin said, trust in Jesus, it would be theologically correct. And, and it can be true in our lives. You know, there, there's another statement that I made in there. What was, oh, thank your lucky stars, right? Or, or, you know, it just so happens. I was talking with somebody yesterday, and they said it just so happened like a dozen times. And I know that they didn't mean it was just all luck. I know that they meant that, that this was a movement of God in their life, and that's completely true, and that's how we live our lives. So we've been talking about this joy and happiness in the book of Philippians. Pastor Dave, what do you mean? by joy and happiness. Well, I'm glad that you asked that this morning because I I just want to give you a quick description. Joy Joy is this. It's a deep confidence that God is in control of every area of my life. It's a deep confidence that God is in control of every area of my life. And if we get up in the morning and we go to bed at night and we think about that truth, then Honestly, as things come at us during the course of the week, we can say, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to be happy. Now, happy isn't an emotional state. Again, um, that, that's sort of the description in our culture. You know, we, we want to be happy. It's more, uh, it's more this deep confidence. Um, and, and I want to say something else. You know, it's okay to be happy. It's okay. You can, you can go through the day with a smile on your face. And if anybody complains about that, Keep smiling. You know, I, I said, you know, uh, sometimes Walmart employees wear a, um, a, a sticker, a little smiley face, and sometimes it says, Has a, have a nice day. And I've, I've heard people actually say, don't tell me what kind of day to have. Right? Um, wow. It's, it's a decision we make every morning when, when we get up. And, and, uh, and, and we're going to talk about, I think, I hope, the, the whole range of this. Um, we need to be reminded, too, that Jesus came to give us joy. Jesus came so that his, his joy might be complete and so that we might experience life and joy in our life. The Bible says that when we allow God's Spirit to fill us, that the results of that are a spiritual experience of joy. Um, what, what does it say in Galatians 5.22? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. It's joy. He wants us to experience this. Um, in fact, the Bible puts joy in the non-optional category. It, it is a consequence of our relationship with Jesus Christ, with the creator of the universe. Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He repeats it. This is really a command, right? And, and before we think, well, I've got to be obedient to that, I'm going to be joyful today, Right? Um, there's, there's some ways in which we can approach life that will, uh, w- that will help us experience this. Now, 
Um, there is a being in this universe, we need to remember, that, that wants you to live in sorrow, that wants you to live in defeat, that wants you to get, up in the bed and, get out of bed in the morning and say, I can't face today. He wants you to feel that way. He wants you to be defeated. In fact, a, a, a writer from several hundred years ago said this, the evil one is pleased with sadness and melancholy because he himself is sad and melancholy and will be so for all eternity. Hence, he desires that everyone should be like himself. Satan desires that we live a life of sorrow and to be melancholy. That's not what God wants for the human race. Now, some of you, of course, are going through some situations that have caused sadness in your life. And I'm not here to say you should just, you know, put on this, this uh, cardboard or this plastic mask and, and just be this happy person um, to, to everyone. There, there is a time to grieve and there is a time to mourn. In fact, those are emotions that God has given us to help us through the process of healing when we lose somebody that's very close to us or we experience a big change in life. So I'm not saying that we should fake it or be artificial, but that even in the midst of those times, we can experience this joy, which is defined as trusting everything with God and being content with that. Now, there's also times where we can be happy at inappropriate times or we can put a face on. And people walk away from a conversation with us going, do they even have a clue? You know? Of, and and I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Um, but, but as a whole, the call for us is to rejoice in the day. This is the day that the Lord has made, right? Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So turn... If you haven't, to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to do seven verses, 12 through 18. Is that right? 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Seven verses. Yeah, I still use my fingers. I should have used this hand, actually, because I should have been, you know, anyway. Um, Now, would you agree with me that it's quite easy to lose happiness? I mean, happiness as an emotion. You, You get up in the morning, and you're, like, happy, and then you meet somebody at work, and they criticize you, Right? I mean, it doesn't take long. A critical word, um, it, you know, somebody that's, that's grouchy, uh, that sort of thing. Um, well, there's four things that we can pick out of, of this passage. And I, if, you read, if you read the trailer and you're like, oh, that, that seems like sort of, I'm not sure if I believe that or not. My, my secretary, my wife, when I turned this in, she said, um... This says this. Are you sure this is right? I'm like, yeah. Well, I don't think I believe that, she said to me. Um, I said, well, just wait. I said, do you want me to tell you now, or do you want to wait, be surprised on Sunday morning? She said, wait. And then I proceeded to read the verse. I, I mean, I just, I'm terrible with surprises. So here's the thing. Paul wrote this in prison. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, Paul says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So there's this word work, and we're going to talk about that in a few moments. But, but first, I want to mention this, these two words, fear and trembling. 
It means, it means a deep reverence and a humility towards God. It's not fear for your life. It's not shaking like you would if you were afraid of the dark and you had to walk from the garage to the house and it's a long ways. That's, that's not the type of fear. In fact, when I think of Paul's statement about fear and trembling, um, I, I'm always reminded about Lucy's conversation with Mrs. Beaver in the book The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Okay, if you know the story, we, we actually watched the movie the other night, kind of the, a Christmassy theme to it. Um, this is the conversation, and even if you don't know anything about the book, this is, this is what you'll get. Um, Susan says, oh, I thought he was a man. They're talking about Aslan, this, this god figure in, in uh, C.S. Lewis's books, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, and Aslan is a lion, uh, a big lion animal. She says, oh, I, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king, you know. And, and, you know, I think as we think about God, that's, if you ever think about being in the presence of God, what would that be like? How would you feel reverent? I guarantee you, there would be this fear and trembling. I mean, characters all throughout Scripture, when faced with an angel, feel fear and trembling. Could you imagine being face-to-face with the creator of that being? But I love that. But he's good. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. God's character, God's power, God's essence, they demand respect. They demand fear. They demand trembling. Going on in verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad, I am still joyful and and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So let's begin in verse 12, where Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, I want you to circle, if you haven't already, those three words. Um, Circle, well, there's four. Circle work out and circle work in. Okay, work out and work in. in. In your life, God has a part and you have a part. In my life, God has a part and I have a part. Now, what does it mean to work out your salvation? Because this can trip us up. Notice it doesn't say to work for your salvation. Okay? There's a big difference here. We cannot work for our salvation. We can't earn it. We can't make ourselves be disciplined enough and good enough and pure enough to to present ourselves before God and, and to be saved. We can't buy our salvation. Paul doesn't say work for your salvation, like work real hard and you'll be accepted and approved. 
The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, the Bible teaches the total opposite. Look at this verse up here. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. See, if, if we could do it ourselves, there'd be a bunch of people up in heaven boasting about how good they are, and it would turn into hell. I mean, that's what it would be like. We don't work for our salvation. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, and this is the key, and it's in your notes, we are to work out what God has worked in. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. Does anyone here work out on a regular basis during the week? Raise your hand. Yeah, you work out. All right. Young man, you look like you work out. I know you work hard at it. Um, I've never been accused of working out regularly, <laughs> regularly, okay? There's been times where I did the push-up challenge, right? That was all fun, and we did that for a couple months, and then I pulled a muscle, and I didn't do it again. <laughs> I've run to get ready for a race before. Um, I'm, I'm trying to eat better right now, so there are some things that I do. But, but here's the thing. When, when you go work out at the gym... You don't go to the gym so that you can create some muscles in your body, okay? You go to the gym to work out the muscles you already have. And that's what Paul is saying right here. We are working out the salvation that God has already given us as followers of Jesus Christ. See, we can only strengthen and enlarge the muscles that God has given us. Granted, many of mine are weak and puny and small, it's, it's like, right, you work out and you're like, man, I didn't even know I had that muscle. Right? Have you ever said that? Have you ever thought that? See, you didn't create that muscle. It was already there. God created you with that muscle. God put that muscle in you, just like he puts salvation in us. And then we do our part and we work that out in our lives as, as we live. It's same it's, it's that way for our salvation. Um, our passage today, is it's about a workout. It's about a workout. It's not four ways to be saved. That's not today's message. Today's message is, since you are saved, if you are, you know, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has made that change in you. Now, here's four things that we can do to work out our salvation. The first is this. Remember that God is with me, God is in me, and God is for me. No matter what you're facing, no matter what's happened to you in the past, no matter, no matter what you're in the midst of right now, no matter what you will face in the future, God is with you as a believer. God is in you, and God is for you. For it is God, verse 13, who works in you, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's the idea that God is still working. The Greek word for work is the word energos, from which we get the word energy. God provides the power as he is in us to live and, and survive in this world and have a joyful and a glad attitude throughout the course of the day. No matter what's happening in our life. God says, I will give you the power no matter what you're facing. No matter what. 
He's always working in us. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. As a believer, you and I have that power in us. When we get up in the morning, we can say, God, God, Father God, the power that you have put in me is that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's resurrection power. And we have that because God is in us. Now, God can do what we can't do. But there needs to be a time when we surrender it all to him. Because because we just are, are wonderful at grabbing it and saying, I want to do this, I want to do this. It's like we're two again or three again. You know, and you grab the, your, your child's hand to help them cross the street and they pull it out because they want to do it themselves. That's what we try to do. That's what we try to do. But you see, we can't. We can't do that all ourselves. Anyone who struggled with addiction, anyone who has struggled with addiction and been in a 12-step program you know the first step. The first step is to admit that you are powerless to overcome this by yourself. It's God. God is the one that transforms us. God's the one that transforms our unhealthy uh, habits. God is the one that transforms those things. Good willpower and good intentions are not enough. Because if we just try to live life with good intentions and willpower, we will fail. I, I heard it described this way one time. It's like, it's like we're a bundle of, of, of posts, soft wood posts. And you know those metal straps they put over the top of those? It's, it's like those metal straps represent our willpower exerted on this bundle of posts to, to keep it under control, to, to keep it together. And then it rains and those posts swell a little bit. You know, temptation comes and, and uh, you know, relate this to a diet. You know, you're, you're, you're just out of sheer willpower trying not to see and not to eat, but, but there's these really sweet things and, and, and you're, you get out of your routine and you go to a hamburger joint or you go to an ice cream parlor and, and your posts begin to swell, right? But you're like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And what happens all of the time? The steel straps of discipline break and we fail and we give in and we, we fall down and all of that. Sheer willpower will not do it. It does not transform us. I've been a part of things at the middle school in Torrington before where the, it's a challenge day and they run all these kids through these highly emotionally charged things that help them see how, how devastating bullying can be and how devastating ridiculing can be and all of that. And by the end of the day, the kids are like, oh, I'm going to be better. I'm not going to treat people this way. And what happens? Two weeks later, they're making fun of each other again. Why? Because there was no change here. There was no transformation. It's the power of God that transforms us. It's him in us that makes that that transformation. God gives us the power to find and live that freedom so that we recognize every day that we're not slaves to this sin. I'm not a slave to this decision. I can choose to live uh, differently. 
But we don't just have God in us. God is with us. He walks this road with you. You are not alone. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Man, what a promise. Right? What a promise that is. God says, I am in you and I am with you. And that, that brings joy to my heart. To know that, that he cares about me that much. Now here's a little note uh, actually, before that, not only is he in us and with us, the Bible says that God is for us. God is for you. He's not against you. He is, Satan would like us to believe that God is against us, but Romans 8.31 is very clear. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can defeat us? No one. No one. No one, no thing. Here's, here's a little note about the nature of God. God is not made up of flesh and blood, okay? God is spirit. I mean, I think we generally know that, but let's just say it out loud. God is spirit. John 4, 24 says God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in the truth. That's what we do on Sunday morning. We're worshiping God. He's here with us, in us, around us, in spirit. We can't see him but yet we worship him. So since God is spirit, there are no limitations on him, not in terms of time, not in terms of space, not in terms of ability. So we can get up every morning and we can say this, God, thank you. Thank you that you are going to walk the journey today with me. I know that you are in me, you are with me, and you are for me. Today and every day, And we say that when we get up in the morning. And that should honestly put joy in our heart. It should put a smile on our face. There's nothing nothing better than, than when you're heading into a difficult situation to know that you have someone by your side who is supporting you and giving you strength and is fighting for you, right? That's what God does. The second exercise to live life full of joy is this. Be grateful and never grumble. This is an easy one. Verse 14, do everything. Not some things, not most things. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. And this deals with the second cause of the loss of happiness. The, the second exercise in the workout is learning to be grateful and to never grumble. And that is a learning process. It really is. Did you know that there's a World Gratitude Day? And in fact, it was celebrated on September 21st of this year. Did anyone celebrate it? Yeah, me neither. It's, it's, not, our, it's, it's not our default mode, is it? gratefulness, in, in, especially in our culture. And, and, and I know many of you Generation Xers would like to point at the millennials and say, especially that generation. But I would then like to say, where did they learn that from? Or who didn't teach them this? I, I mean, I'm, I'm you, you know I'm a big sports guy. I mean, just a little bit. The, the Louisville women's basketball coach lost another game this week, like spin like three in a row, and people expected... He had this big rant about how our kids in our generation, our culture today, don't know how to be grateful and they don't know how to work hard. Well, how are they going to learn that if we don't, number one, be great examples of that to them and, and, and teach them this? 
Parents, grandparents, be intentional about teaching your children these things. Okay? And, and we can, as parents and grandparents, we can live life with gratitude. And we can live life not grumbling. There was a lady who walked into a seafood restaurant and she said to the waiter, Sir, do you serve crabs here? And he said, Ma'am, we serve everybody. This takes daily exercise and work, doesn't it? I I mean, because there are people in our lives that rub us the wrong way. There are people in our lives every day who get on our nerves, and we can sometimes lose control of our attitudes. And if we would just take a moment and we would check our spirit with the Lord and say, Father, I got up this morning saying that you're with me and you're in me and you're for me. I need you right now to help me not grumble about this and to be grateful of what you've given me and blessed me in my life. Um, Maybe you have friends who talk too much or they don't express affection the way you want them to. Or they have irritating habits. You know anybody like that? Probably married to one, actually. (laughs) They've got character flaws, right? Every one of us does. We we have to be honest about that. It's funny to think about other people, but wow, just, you know, as soon as you point at somebody, you got three fingers pointing right back at you. And uh, we we have to be careful with that. you, some of us have friends who have made complaining an art form. I mean, they whine all the time. And it, it's, it's infectious. It can be. I just, just read a, a negative post on Facebook sometime and look at all of the negative replies that sucks in from all of the people out there who are having a bad day that want to throw in their two cents, possibly even a situation that doesn't affect them at all. And they would not even have known about it if they hadn't read about it. On Facebook. And they try to manipulate us. And it's exhausting sometimes. Right? We need to recognize that we can't force anybody to change. But we, we can change ourselves. In that situation. Um, my daughter had some work done on her car. Actually, I had the work done on her car in Laramie. She called me on a Sunday night, 10.30. Dad, I can't get the key out of my car. It'll start, but I can't get the key out. And what we found by diagnosing over the phone, it wouldn't go in park. So she couldn't turn the key off and pull it out. It's like, well, you can't leave it in the parking lot at the University of Wyoming with the key in it. She didn't have a spare key. She couldn't lock it. So we ended up putting it in Pastor Brad's garage for the night, and I spent my day off going to Laramie, trying to diagnose the problem, ended up at the Honda dealership for several hours while they tried to fit it in to their schedule to to figure out what was wrong with it. It was a simple fix. We don't need to get into that. But I was in the waiting room for two hours with these two service guys at the counter. And, you know, I don't really talk to strange people that much or that often. Um... (laughs) One guy was a new grandparent. His daughter lived in Washington and had a new grandbaby that day. I mean, she called while I was in there and, and we're visiting and we're chatting, you know, and I'm thrilled they figured out that it was, well, it cost me 60 bucks. I'm thinking, you know, is it the transmission? Is it whatever? It was an easy, easy, easy fix. And while we were in there, we decided it'd be good to order a second key for Brittany's car. She only has one. 
probably a bad idea. So she went in a couple days ago to get this key. And um, she's talking to these two guys, and, and, and they actually didn't have the key ready. He had to cut it. So she was sitting around, I think, waiting for a few minutes. And, and when she texted me, she, or she called me, and we're talking on the phone, and she said, Dad, those guys told me that my dad was pretty cool. She said, why would they say that? And she said her response to that was, well, he spoke pretty highly of you two. And, and these guys, man, they were great. And I told her the reason why. Because most people that sit in that waiting room for hours waiting for their car to be fixed are grumpy and grouchy and short and not very happy because every... T- I mean, I watched three, four people come in. They wanted oil changes. They wanted this. They wanted it done right now. Now. Put my car in front of all the other people that had appointments. That's how they feel. You see, the, even little connections we can have with people can have huge impact if we don't grumble and we're grateful. Now, trust me, I don't do that all the time. You know, you've heard the Pizza Hut story. You've, you've heard other stories where I've lost my mind Soccer games, basketball games, I'm getting better. I'm working on it. But, but I don't want you to hear, oh, well, Pastor Dave, he's got that all figured out. He's just happy all the time. No. No, it's not that way. But, but it's a decision that we make. It's a choice that we make. And we can. Not by sheer willpower, but with the power of God transforming our hearts and our minds, we can do this. I've, I've spent way too long on that, longer than I had planned. Um, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. That's a tough verse, isn't it? Blameless and pure. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that no one can speak a word of blame against you because that's when it happens. I, I could not believe it. We sat in our seats at the football game yesterday. We're like five seats from the top of the press box. And right down, in, right in front of us, right in front of us is a man that I met years ago when I student taught in Lusk. He was the music director. And he says something about that I like to talk a lot. <laughs> right, Mr. Lashley? He said that. I could not believe it. I mean, I know it's true. But he said it sort of snidely. I mean, I know he was, he was joking, but it's like, what? Ha, what sort of things did I say when I was a young punk kid doing my student teaching at Lusk? That stuff sits in people because every time he drives by this road, because he knows I work here, he, he, and, well, he thought I was the youth pastor. And, you know, he's, he runs the clubhouse at, the, at the, the golf course in Lusk. And a few years ago, we tried to burn it down by turning the grill up too too hot. He told that story too. You know, so what we do and what we say, even the little things can impact someone for a very long time. And we just need to be conscious of that. We need to be grateful. We need to not grumble. Number three is this, keep a clear conscience. Keep a clear conscience, okay? We are to be blameless and pure. And how, how does that happen? Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, okay? We're not to compare ourselves to other people. That's not Paul's point. But Paul's point is, when we live our life with joy, the way God empowers us to live it, we are going to stand out like a star on a dark, clear night. They're just going to see it. 
Those guys didn't have to say your dad's a pretty cool guy. They didn't have to say that. But they saw something different. They saw something different. This verse was written over 2,000 years ago, and generations have yet to be fixed. Generation after generation after generation is broken. Human nature doesn't change. And one of the things that, loses it, that causes us to lose our happiness is guilt. Guilt. It causes discouragement. It, uh, a lot of us would say, I'd like to be happy, but how do I keep my conscience clear when it's not clear right now? We all want to enjoy life. We all want relief from our pain. And the Bible says that that comes in the form of forgiveness, and that forgiveness comes via God's grace. Psalm 32.1 says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed, it's also translated as happy. Joyful. Joyful is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Oh man, what happiness there is for someone who's, whose sins have been forgiven, whose, whose wrongs have been, who have, have been righted. What, what a joy when sins are covered over and they're, they're completely gone. What a relief for those who have confessed their sins. And God has cleared the record. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God has promised this. So in order to add number three to our workout, keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with God. We talk about that with our husbands and our wives as well. There's a verse that says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, Right? We oftentimes, we, we, we always teach that in, in our relationship with our husband or wife or people around us, but it applies to God too. It applies to God too. At the beginning and at the end of every day, anyone who has been in a Celebrate Recovery group or a, an NA group or an AA group, they do this. They do this. It's called a spiritual morale inventory. They say this, God, is there anything between me and you? I'm not going to bed tonight with this junk in the way. If there's anything, show me. Let me see it tonight. It's, it's like you're breathing out the junk. You're repenting it. You're confessing it at night or in, or in the morning. And, and then you breathe in forgiveness, the knowledge that, that God said that if we confess and if we repent, he will forgive. And we need to let that go. Now, I'm the garbage taker outer in our house. Even when we had kids, that was, that's one of my jobs. And, you know, sometimes when the boxes are piling up around the garbage, you just try to ignore it. Because it's like, I don't have time right now. But when the smell comes, then it's like, you walk in the door and you're like, what is that? You, you first you go to the sink, right, to smell if there's a wash rag or a sponge that smells, right? Have you done this? Am I not, I'm not the only one, I know. And then you're like, sometimes I, I seldom go to the trash first because I know that if it's the trash, I got to take it out. Sometimes, depending on how the weeks go, we need to take the trash out every day or it smells the same way as with our sin. We can't let it sit there and stink 
We need to take it out. We need to confess it. We need to repent it. We need to, we need to practice spiritual breathing. We need to take that garbage out every day. And it then creates room for happiness and for joy. It removes that guilt. Now, Satan will want to remind you of that, and you have to remind him that God says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I've removed your sin from you. There's no guilt in that. You know, that's why Jesus came, isn't it? To, to pay for our sin with the sacrifice of his life. We celebrate his coming at Christmas. That's the season that we're in right now. That's why he became Emmanuel, God with us. One more. One more exercise in Paul's workout in this passage for a happy life. It's this, use my life to serve God by serving others. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. You know, we serve God by serving others. You see, we can't see God. In, in some ways, we can't really do things for him. He doesn't need anything. But what does he call us to do? Serve one another. Love one another. So we can serve him by serving others. And I think that's a key. And, and I think it can become a purpose, right? It can be a purpose for us to not grumble and complain and to be grateful. Because then we're just a grumpy and complainy person. And people don't like to be around us. And that doesn't really show them love when we are that way around them or to them. You know, the ultimate purpose of happiness is not to make us feel good, which is the cultural thing. I want to be happy. Okay, the purpose is to empower us, to, to give us stamina and energy to love other people. To serve other people, that's really the ultimate reason to choose happiness, I think. You know, when I'm miserable, I'm not benefiting anyone. No one. You know, there's a lot of guys that like to say, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. That's true for men, too. So we're called to choose happiness for others' sake. Sometimes it takes everything we've got to even turn our face towards happiness. But when there is a deep purpose for happiness, it can make all the difference through those hard times. If I don't choose happiness, my choice is a selfish one. It's the same problem that occurs when I choose to wallow in my own guilt. No one benefits from our guilt. We rob the world of, of our energy when we choose guilt. Likewise, when we fail to accept ourselves as who God created us to be, or we allow or choose to, to spew our misery or negative attitudes all over the place, we become caught up in ourselves and we waste God's energy that he's wanting to fill us with. Paul tells us, tell, tells how it works in verse 13. Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You can, not out of your sheer willpower, but because he gives you the strength. You know, think about this. The Christian life is not difficult. It's downright impossible. It's downright impossible. We can't live by the law. It doesn't work. We need someone 
to who has fulfilled the law, and that is Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ. So we need to thank God for helping us choose happiness, not because of what we achieve ourselves. It's not something we can do for ourselves. And remember this, we're not saved, simply saved, so that when we die, we get to go to heaven. That's not the whole, that's not the only purpose. You know, God wants to use you and me in the life of other people today and tomorrow and next week. So that they too can experience the joy and the forgiveness and, and, and the contentment knowing that God is in control of all things. When, when Paul re- writes Philippians, Paul, remember, is old. He's in prison. He's awaiting execution. And he says these last words that, that we're going to read today with genuine faith and with genuine joy that we are to offer our lives as a sacrifice, serving others. Verses 17 and 18, but even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad, Paul says. And rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. We live in an imperfect world. And if joy is going to work, it has to work in an imperfect world. And that's the message of Jesus Christ. God came to this imperfect, often ugly world in Jesus Christ. He told us joy can happen even here, even in this kind of world. Because this is the kind of world that we live in. You can choose to be a discouraged person because there's a lot of discouraging things out there. You could choose to be an angry person because there's a lot of anger in this world. You could choose to be cynical because there's a lot to be cynical about in this world. But the message of God for everyone here is that we can experience joy in life because of what he did and how much he loves us and the purpose he's given us. Because there is a lot to be joyful about. It's a new choice. Let's rethink our thinking. It's a new day because of what Jesus has done alone. As the worship team comes up and we celebrate communion. Jesus said on that last day, he said, guys, hey, this bread, it represents my body broken for you. And I want you to celebrate this until my return. And this cup, as he passed it around, he said, this is my blood. Now, before you guys play anything, okay, I want you to just stand there, except for Joyce. Joyce, I'm going to make you play. Okay? Here's what, here's what I want to do. Um, the, the servers are going to come and they're going to serve us communion. They're going to pass the bread and uh, as, as a follower in Christ, take a piece of bread which represents his body broken for you and as the cup comes, grab a cup. Just spend some time thinking and praying and celebrating. Be thankful. Be happy that, that God did this for us, that he did this for you. And, and while they're doing that,
um, after I pray, I'm going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 18 through 17. And uh, with, with only Joyce playing, one of the servers, if you could serve, actually I'll do it, I'll serve everybody on the stage, because they don't often get served or get to participate in communion. And um, So while Joyce is playing only, we'll, we'll partake of communion. And then Caleb, um, wow. When, uh, when the offering is taken, the worship team will lead us in that final song. So as the ushers come up, uh, the servers come up, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this sacrifice that you made for us. Thank you for this last moment in time that we all have to, to celebrate this truth together as we partake of communion in the year 2016. Father, teach us. Help us to experience joy. A joy that's not made up or fake, but, but it's based completely on you and our trust in you. Thank you that, that, that you give us that gift. And Lord, we celebrate with you um, the sacrifice that you made. In Jesus' name, amen.